Loving greetings and pranams to all of you, all of you who are gathered in this large auditorium here in Mumbai, and special greetings as well to the many more thousands who are joining us this, for this event by the live stream video. Welcome, pranams to all of you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you may be around the world. You have many uh, eager and joyous spiritual brothers and sisters joining in this program and welcoming you. Even though we can't see you, we're very happy to have you with us. And in the light and the joy and the spiritual vibrations of our divine gurus, the great masters who are behind this path. Let us begin our satsang, our program this morning. Tune in with that great light, that great uplifting vibration of divine presence. Our guru Paramahansa Yogananda one time said, that liberated masters, such as our great gurus, liberated masters carry with them a halo, an aura of invisible healing light. And wherever they go, they scatter that light of prosperity, of health, and of course we can add of upliftment of consciousness, awakening of consciousness, so close your eyes, let us feel that light, let us bathe in that light and invoke the presence of the divine. Heavenly Father, Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Bhagavan Krishna, Jesus Christ, Mahavatar Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Sri Yukteswar, our Guru Paramahansa Yoganandaji, saints of all religions, we bow to you all. Beloved God, inflame our consciousness with your divine light Inflame our minds with your divine wisdom. Inflame our hearts with your divine love. Inflame our souls with your infinite ever new joy. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Now remaining in the meditation posture with eyes closed, visualize and feel that divine presence, that divine light that we have invoked. Feel that light filling your body, filling your mind lifting your consciousness 
that invisible light of spiritual blessings emanated by the great masters. Take that light within the spine and brain, the altar of God perception. Now take that invisible vibration, that elevating spiritual light up the spine at each of the spinal centers. Feel that light, feel that spiritual presence, consciousness, awakening the spine as we chant Om going up the spine, at, starting at the coccyx center, Om at the coccyx, and then up the spine, Om at the sacral center, a little further up the spine, Om at the lumbar center, up to the heart center, Om at the heart center, feeling that expansion, feeling that light, that upliftment of consciousness up to the cervical center om om at the medulla center om at the kutasta center between the eyebrows the portal to the infinite the doorway to divine consciousness Now going down the spine, Om from the spiritual eye, Om at the medulla center, Om at the cervical center, Om in the heart center, Om in the lumbar center, Om in the sacral center and Om at the coccyx center. Let those awakened spiritual centers be an unshakable connection between our consciousness and the all-pervading divine consciousness that may be invisible to our mortal eyes but always perceptible by our finer awakened spiritual instruments of perception. Now up the spine once more, Om at the coccyx center, Om at the sacral center, Om at the lumbar center, Om at the heart center, Om in the cervical center, Om in the medulla center, and Om in the kutasta at the point between the eyebrows. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Well, my beloved friends in the program here in Mumbai these past three days, three days, it hardly seems possible that now we're on the final day of our program. We have spent time in satsang together. We have spent time in meditation together. We have 
explored and shared and dived deep into the wisdom teachings of our guru, the techniques of meditation, the how to live wisdom. But most of all, most of all, these three days have been a time of satsanga. I know, I feel that many, most of you, almost all of you, maybe all of you, have felt, have touched the real meaning of satsanga in these days. Satsanga meaning fellowship with divine truth. It means putting ourselves, putting our consciousness into an environment of higher uplifting spiritual vibrations. That comes when our consciousness touches the divine consciousness. And in that satsanga, in that contact with the wisdom and the teachings and the techniques of the Kriya Yoga path, of the Yogoda Satsanga Self-Realization Fellowship path, we have received not only guidance, not only inspiration, not only deeper insight into the spiritual path and how to live our lives, more important than that, in that satsanga we have forged a deeper, a more tangible, and a more lasting connection with the divine consciousness of our Gurudev, Paramahansa Yogananda. As I spoke of the other night, he said, after I'm gone, the teachings will be the Guru. And if you practice the techniques, the teachings and the techniques, you will be in tune with me and the great gurus who sent me. That attunement, that is what satsanga is all about. That is the whole purpose, or the highest purpose, of coming together in spiritual gatherings such as this, whereby we reinforce each other's vibrations, we reinforce each other's intent, and we form, collectively, we form a great spiritual magnet that draws those divine perceptions, those divine vibrations, that divine consciousness in a greater way into this satsanga. I always marvel at the end of these short programs. Here we are now, the third day of the program. And many of you I had never met outwardly before coming here. This is my first visit to Mumbai. And yet, in those three days, one can't help feeling that there's been such a wonderful, such a sweet bond of divine friendship that's been formed, isn't it? I feel that way. And you know, I think where that comes from, I, where that bond is formed in the most powerful way is in those hours of meditation that we spent yesterday. How many were there present at the three-hour meditation yesterday? Look at that, almost every single hand in this vast crowd of nearly 2,000 people. It was a wonderful meditation. It was a powerful meditation. Three hours of diving deep and deeper into those divinely restorative wells of spiritual experience, of spiritual consciousness. And it's really that connection, where we meditate together, where we form on a much deeper level than our intellect or our emotions, where we form a spiritual bond. 
That's why, that's why I said a minute ago that even though, relatively speaking, we have only spent a short time together outwardly, inwardly the quality, the depth, the intensity of that connection because of the time we spent together in meditation has united us in a tangible and very real and very sweet bond of divine friendship. And I will never forget these days that I have spent in your company. There's a very interesting point to be made about that. I'll digress just for a moment. About how meditation forges uh, spiritual relationships, spiritual uh, consciousness between individual souls. You know, when we come into the ashram of Gurudev as, a, as monks or nuns in his ashrams, we're placed in an environment with whatever other uh, souls, whatever other monks and nuns are, are in the ashram at the same time as us. It's a, it's a very different experience. I remember from my early days in the ashram, um, very different because normally in worldly life, you get to pick who you like to associate with. You get to pick your friends and those with whom you feel uh, a natural affinity and a natural um, harmony. In the ashram, we're put together in actually very close quarters for many hours of every day with souls that not only did we not pick, but it seems sometimes that our guru specifically picked them just to push our buttons. You know, there's that wonderful, wonderful little story where sometime, one time uh, somebody asked a Christian monk uh, who lived in, an, in, a, in a monastery, in a community spiritual um, monastery, and he said, well, tell me, what, uh, what spiritual austerities do you practice? And he said, community living. Anyways, that isn't the main point because it's, it, it's such a blessing. And the point that I want to make about this is that in the beginning, yes, I looked around and I said, uh, well, these are unusual individuals. I've never met somebody. I've never had uh, been at close quarters with somebody quite like this or quite like that and so on. But do you know, as the years go by, where we're meditating together, the foundation of our life in the ashram, it includes the basics of the spiritual life, but the heart and soul of it is our meditation. And every day, in morning and evening, unfailingly we come together as a community and we meditate together. The interesting thing was that after some years of adjusting and uh, making my, um, uh, finding ways to, to get along and finding ways to adapt to these, this quite um, diverse, let's call it, assortment of personalities and temperaments and characters. One day I looked around and I said, you know, I have such deep love for each of these souls. Each of these brothers I love deeply, and that's, that comes, that comes from day after day, year after year, connecting with each other on that spiritual level in meditation. I have no doubt about it, I have no doubt about it, that it's because when we go within and contact 
our own spiritual consciousness, our own soul awareness, and we do that in the company of other souls where jointly all of us are, at least for a short time, operating from that higher level of consciousness, the soul level of consciousness, automatically, automatically, we develop love. Automatically, we develop respect, appreciation. And that deepens into the sweetest divine friendship that I could have ever envisioned or imagined before coming into the ashram. Now, why is this important? You look around at the world today, isn't it? We have such conflict. We have such um, divergent interests and opinions and uh, agendas. And the world is not an easy place to get along with people. We have this concept, we have this ideal that um, by spiritual progress or by the gradual evolution of the human race that at some point we will all be able to live together as brothers and sisters. That ancient ideal from the Vedic scriptures of the world is one family. We are all the children of God and we should live in that harmony, in that peace. Well, that I am convinced, and our guru said this over and over again, that will always remain an unattained ideal until this concept of deep daily meditation permeates society. Just for the same reasons that we have experienced in these last three days in the same process that I described in my own years in the ashram, until humanity at large, more and more and more people make the effort through meditation to know God, to contact God, to experience God within. Only then do we gain the ability to perceive that divine spark, that divine essence, that presence of God in all other souls. That is the basis of the world is one family. That is the basis for the brotherhood of man. That is the basis, the only lasting realistic basis for the hope of world peace. I'm saying this to all of you because each of you has committed, each of you has formed the habit, has formed a routine of meditating and not just not just uh, letting the mind wander while we sit quietly, but in a deep and disciplined and focused way, these high techniques of yoga meditation. Those of you on this path and on other paths that practice that kind of inner effort, that kind of inner diving into the divine consciousness, you are the hope of humanity. You are the hope of humanity. Now, here we are, after, after these days together, we've had that wonderful connection as souls. And yet, we know now we, we, we have a, a, perhaps a renewed conviction, a renewed perception of what that spiritual consciousness, what that spiritual essence within each of us consists of. And yet, even though we are 
eternal, immortal, ever-perfect, divine on the level of our souls. We live in these material bodies, and these material bodies live in a material world, isn't it? That's our challenge. That's our challenge. How to bridge that perception that we gain in meditation, that we gain in spiritual growth and spiritual unfoldment, that perception of our divine essence, how to hold on to that, how to maintain that connection even while living in the material world. As I said, that, that um, love that comes from meditation, that's something we need to nurture. And along with that love, you know, the, the love that emanates into our lives from the divine and from the representatives of the divine, the, the liberated masters, the great saints, those who have awakened their own soul consciousness, the love that flows from them into our lives is very inspiring, it's very motivating. And yet along with that love, hand in hand with that love comes wisdom. Wisdom meaning practical knowledge, practical understanding of how we can make our way through our material lives, how we can operate, how we can be in the world, in these material bodies, and still maintain that consciousness of what we really are. And let's face it, today it's not an easy job. It's not an easy task. The material environment of the world today, far from being spiritually uplifting by and large, is often the opposite, is often quite toxic. Toxic in the sense of operating completely at odds with our spiritual aspirations, with our spiritual ideals. There's the noise, the materialism, the selfishness, the uh, sectarianism, the uh, divisiveness, the hatred, all of these things. I won't even go on with the list because, first of all, we know them all too well and there's also no point in giving more power to them by naming them. But we live in that environment. And that's why on the Yogoda Satsanga Society path, on the self-realization path, of Kriya Yoga Meditation, we come to realize that an essential survival skill, you might call it, a survival skill in today's world, and especially for those of us with spiritual ideals, is learning how to protect ourselves from that toxic material environment for our own highest good, the Masters teach us. For our own highest good, we should learn we should learn how to apply the means to protect ourselves, to free ourselves from all of these downward pulling influences that create, we might call diseases or diseases, where it makes us unsettled, it makes us restless. And yes, even physically, even physically, we, are a we have a body, we have a mind, we are a soul. But this immersion in the toxic material environment threatens us on all three levels. Now, 
one of the things that materialistic culture, the material environment does, it makes us forget. It makes us um, turn a blind eye, really, or it, it makes us oblivious to the fact that there are great, tremendous resources of help available in spiritual consciousness. Our Guru Dave Paramahansa Yogananda said this, very beautifully put. He said, when we begin to understand the total being that is man, we realize that he is no simple spiritual, no simple physical organism. Within the human being, every human being, are many powers whose potential we employ in greater or lesser degree in accommodating ourselves to the conditions of this world. The potential of those powers, the potential of those resources, he said, is vastly greater than the average person thinks. Now that, in a nutshell, summarizes the, the great spiritual treasure that's available to all whose karma and striving and spiritual searching and spiritual inquiry has led them to the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda in these comprehensive teachings, which, as you all know, are now flowing out to the world in this wonderful new edition of the YSS SRF lessons. That is a comprehensive set of practices, set of methods, tools, wisdom for employing those divine resources in a way that maximizes their expression in our lives and ultimately frees us, first protects us and then frees us from the unwanted influences of material culture, material environment. And here's how this works. It's very scientific. The science of Kriya Yoga tells us where to concentrate. It tells us where to put our attention in order to gain that safety, to gain that security, to gain that transcendence, if you will. And that place where it all happens is in the human nervous system. Nervous system. You know, here we are, as I said, we are inside, we are the soul. Outside is our physical body and the material world. The interface, you might say, the point of interchange, of connection, is the human nervous system. Now here's the important point. This is what, if we could remember this and apply it in our lives, we will go far ahead and we will live much more joyous, much more fulfilling, and productive and happy lives. And that is that the nervous system, the nervous system can either be a portal or a barrier. Now, the nervous system is not entirely physical and it's not entirely uh, made of consciousness. It's a blend, it's an interface. There's a, there's a physiological aspect to the nervous system. There's also uh, the elements of consciousness together they comprise the senses, the emotions, the thoughts, all of the activities by which we have this interchange, this action and reaction in the world around us. The point, the point is this, that 
when the nervous system is under the spell, under the hypnosis of the materialistic environment, it is actually a barrier to spiritual consciousness. It's a barrier. That's why we say that the material world, the material environment has toxic effects because it creates a barrier where we become indifferent, we become blind, we become oblivious to anything higher, anything more refined, anything more freeing. But by the practice of yoga, we can, can, we can turn that situation around. We can make the nervous system, rather than being a barrier to spiritual consciousness, we can make it a portal. We can make it a door. We can make it a constant medium through which we maintain that connection with our divine consciousness, even while living in the material body, even while living in the material world. That Kriya Yoga meditation, the foundation of our spiritual path, of our system of meditation, Kriya Yoga meditation and the sadhana of balanced spiritual living, right guidance of our actions, right guidance of our thoughts, right guidance of our attitudes, all of that together, all of that wisdom teaching that our guru has given us, Together, those refine the senses, they refine the thoughts, they refine the emotions and the whole nervous system and the whole consciousness until they are receptive, until they are attuned, and until they are able to remain conscious of that higher spiritual realms of joy, of peace, of power to accomplish noble goals, strength, vitality, health, healing, all of that is accessible to us or it is barred to us, depending on how we train and how we deploy that human nervous system. Again, nervous system primarily meaning the senses, the emotions, and the thoughts. Now, the critical point of all this is that the nervous system, those emotions, those thoughts, those senses, those are operating automatically. Those are creating a continuous interchange between our consciousness and the world around us, the, whatever environment we're in, whether we are conscious of it or not. If we are not conscious of it and we, be, we just let that process happen passively, we become slaves. We become victims we become susceptible to any influence of negative emotions, negative feelings, negative qualities that we may be exposed to in the environment. But if we use it consciously, then the whole situation is reversed. You know, we said earlier that the nervous system could either be a barrier or a portal. In the unthinking individual, the one who makes no effort to take control of that, to use those divine potentials, in that person, we can say the nervous system is a barrier to spiritual consciousness and it's a portal to the toxic material environment. To the spiritual individual, to the yogi, the one who meditates, the one who is trying to develop that, those inner capacities, the situation is exactly reversed. The nervous system then becomes a portal to the divine, 
to the expanded spheres of joy, of peace, of understanding of wisdom, and we'll gain the ability to use it when necessary as a barrier to protect us against unwanted material influences. Let's talk about how these work in a practical sense. Let's take, for instance, the emotions, one part of, a, um, of the nervous system. Yoga is so valuable and the science of Kriya Yoga is so effective because it deals with that subtle prana, that subtle life force that is the actual animating force, the animating energy in the nervous system, in the whole body. Emotions, you know, nowadays, today's world, we look around, I'm sure we experience ourselves. Too often, our emotional state is one of anxiety or one of insecurity, perhaps one of even fear or worry, or even more toxic emotions such as resentment and irritation and other things like that negative qualities. But when you think about it, what is an emotion? What is emotions? How, how do they work in the nervous system? Emotion is simply this. Emotion is simply occurrence of energy generated by the brain and transmitted into the body by the brain. Currents of energy. Pranayama, as you know from practice of meditation, prana means life energy. Pranayam means control of life energy. Therefore, by pranayam, we also gain the ability to control emotions. Paramahansaji said, actually, that control of emotions is the key to health and happiness. It helps our ability to be a God-conscious individual in the material world, to be, as he said, in the world, but not of the world. That comes from the control of emotions, control of the, of the nervous system. Let's practice one aspect of that. Now, you know, prana, working in the nervous system, is that subtle life energy. Breath is one of the main vehicles of prana. By using this, this technique, which is in one of the lessons, lesson seven, I think, we can, we can have an actual experience of how to use prana to get a handle, to get a, get a grip, to get, a, get control over emotions whenever we need them. It's almost like a spiritual first aid. So shall we practice this together? Sit up, meditation posture. Now, this technique is to be used when there's an unwanted emotional state that you're trying to free your consciousness from. And basing it on the understanding that, again, emotions are currents of energy, we use the breath, we use the consciousness to pull those currents of life energy, those currents of emotional energy into the breath and then expel them from the body. So now this has to be a little bit theoretical because we're going to be practicing how to get rid of an, a negative emotion and I don't really feel too many negative emotions in this hall here today so you'll just have to pretend all right for when you do need it you go like this first of all you in you 
infuse life energy into the muscles by contracting all the muscles, exert tension through the body as we've been taught in the lessons. Inhale and hold the breath and feel that that breath in the lungs is like a magnet, like it's pulling all of those currents away from that emotion that we're trying to get rid of. And then we expel the breath, we exhale the breath, release the tension from the body and feel that with the outflowing of life energy from the muscles and especially from the breath, that, that emotion is being dispelled from the body. Let's try that together. So sit upright, inhale, and while inhaling, contract all the muscles, feel the life energy permeating the body and feel that concentration of prana in the lungs. And now feel that the lungs, the breath in the lungs is like a magnet pulling any unwanted emotion, fear, anxiety, restlessness into that breath, into the air in the lungs. And now release the tension from the muscles and throw the breath out. That feeling that was troubling us, we do this two or three times, we can feel that that's literally being psychophysiologically expelled from the body and the mind and the consciousness. So this is, this is again, just one little illustration of the power that we can gain over the nervous system by the practice of the techniques of meditation, by the practice of the how to live principles that give us the ability to protect ourselves and live in spiritual consciousness rather than to be helpless and passive victims of whatever the world throws at us. Now, one caution, when you expel the breath like that, make sure that you're alone and not aiming at it somebody else. <laughs> you don't want that, to be, that, uh, that emotion to be a target that, uh, that you put onto your uh, husband or wife or, or family members, all right? So be careful of that. I'm, I'm joking, of course, but it's an interesting... I, I'm saying this because I'm trying to impress you with the fact that the prana and the breath, these are very real tools. The breath carries prana. We can use that prana to change our consciousness. We do that, as you know, those of you who practice Kriya Yoga, we, we use that breath, we use that life energy to refine and to uplift our consciousness. A little story, just again, a little uh, to digress a little bit. Again, this is just to show, just to illustrate um, how the breath can carry powerful currents of prana. Prana is healing energy as well. Prana is actual life force. It's what sustains our bodies. It's the life in our bodies. So this story was told to us by our late revered president, Sri Mrinalini Mata, whom most of you know and appreciate and know of her great role in the work of YSS and SRF. When she first came to the ashram of our guru, this was in Encinitas in Southern California. She was just a young devotee, just a teenager actually. Uh, that's where she started her, her monastic training, her monastic path. And one of the early days that she was uh, there in the ashram, uh, one of her forms of service or outward assignments was to go out on the lawn there in front of the hermitage and 
uh, pull the weeds out and do some gardening and so on. Now most of you know the hermitage there is on a bluff high above the Pacific Ocean, very clear, very sunny, very uh, uh, intense sunlight. And she didn't realize, but after doing that uh, weeding and, and gardening for some hours, she had a terrible sunburn. And her hands were, she said it was, it was so bad, it wasn't just red, there were actual blisters on her skin, on her hands, and on other parts of her exposed um, skin. And so then later that day when, when Guruji saw her, he said, what happened to you? And she explained, she didn't realize how intense the sun was. And he, of course, cautioned her and said, well, you know, you can protect yourself if you wear the right kind of clothing when you go outside. But then he said, just come here, come here, out of his great compassion. And very simply, without making any big uh, demonstration or display, he, uh, he said, hold your hands out. And she did like that. He just went like this a few times. On his own hands, he breathed. In other words, breathing onto his hands, his fingers, infusing them with that healing energy, that prana, and then casting them onto her skin. She said, you know, a few hours later, not only were all the blisters gone, there was not even any redness left on the skin. That's the, that's the power of prana. That's the power of breath and the yoga understanding of it. There's so much that we could dwell on about this art of maintaining our divine consciousness, maintaining our divine connection while living in the material world. We don't need, nor is it possible, to cover it all in, let alone one lecture or even in three days worth of programs and classes, because that wonderful sadhana, that wonderful liberating science, that liberating understanding and body of truth has been given to each of us in those Yogoda Satsanga Self-Realization Fellowship lessons. The comprehensive teachings of our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda. If we take them, if we study them a little bit each day, we find that not only do we gain this emotional control over the over the nervous system, as we've just described. The other parts of the nervous system, the, the thoughts and the senses, gradually become susceptible and being governed by our conscious control. Let's talk for just for one moment about the senses. You know, normally, again, this, this idea of the nervous system being the interface, the primary uh, mode by which that interchange takes place is through the senses, isn't it? We get information, we see things, we hear things, we taste, we touch, we feel. That's the interchange between our inner consciousness and the outer world. And again, it can either be a passive or it can be a conscious process. The yogi wants to make it conscious because 
the yogi knows, the devotee knows the very sad and actually tragic results of not taking that control, of letting the world rule our consciousness. You know, just so often, and just recently this happened, somebody um, was talking, we were talking about the teachings and somebody observed, you look around at people today, not, not the devotees, not uh, those who are consciously on a spiritual path, but the population at large, and in so many millions of people, young people, middle-aged, older people, in so many there's, there's such a sense of emptiness inside, isn't it? There's such a sense of loneliness. There's such a sense of being unworthy or unloved. And Honestly, what is the reason for that? Why is there such great loneliness? Why is there such great vacuum in the world among all these people? And the answer is very simple. People are lonely because they have never taken the time to become friends with themselves. With themselves. And by, the, by ourselves, of course, I'm referring to that true self, that higher self, not the little ego with all of its idiosyncrasies and, and habits and limitations, but the real self, the soul. Now, when there is no awareness, when there has been no cultivation of a relationship with our real self, What is the result? The result is because the soul is the source of love, the, sor the source of our strength, the source of our self-esteem, if you will. If we are divorced from that, if we have no connection, if we make no effort to have a relationship with that higher self, we still have all of those basic human needs and desires for love, for validation, for somebody to tell us that we're worth something. And look around us at the world. It's, it's so tragic is the only word I can think of. It's tragic that in the absence of that awareness of those beautiful divine qualities that dwell within every human being, People are driven to chase after it, to run after it in a million different ways, and really it all amounts to a few very basic, primal, emotional cries. Won't somebody love me? Won't somebody make me feel like I'm worthwhile? Won't somebody give me the validation, give me the this sense that, that I'm loved, that I'm liked, that I'm valued. As long as the consciousness, as long as individuals are chasing that from outer sources, it will always remain elusive. There will always be that loneliness. There will always be that emptiness. But the good news, the contrary, is that from the time that one starts a serious and disciplined and methodical and scientific practice of meditation and thereby begins to get to know the true self, 
That's where real self-esteem comes from. You know, this is, this is such a problem. We hear about this in the media. We hear about this from our educators and, and leaders in society about uh, the, the problem of, of self-esteem, the problem of, um, especially in, in, I would say, in uh, younger people who haven't yet found their footing or their direction in life. If they don't know that that source of love, that source of divinity, is within them. There's going to be that emptiness, and that emptiness is going to pro propel an endless search, an endless engagement with social media, with entertainment, with this distraction, with that outer pursuit. Not that they're wrong in themselves. It's just that they're useless in themselves. They're useless in filling that vacuum. They're useless in filling that inner emptiness. Those of you who are undertaking a practice of meditation, again, you are such, you are such a source of hope in my eyes to the world because any, everyone who takes the time on a regular basis to use those techniques of meditation to get some contact with the soul, to get some contact with that divine presence within, that is powerfully exemplifying the alternative to the emptiness and the negativity and the loneliness and the alienation that is such an epidemic in the world today. Spiritual consciousness is the solution. Meditation is the solution. So we've talked about our emotions, we've talked about our senses, how to use that science of meditation to reverse and control that nervous system, the senses, the emotions, and there's the thoughts, the thoughts. You know, whether we think negatively or positively makes a huge, makes a profound difference in the quality of our lives. And it makes a profound difference in the quality of what we contribute to the world around us. You all know, who have studied the, the lessons, who have studied the writings and the teachings of Paramahansaji, the importance of filling the mind with, with constructive thoughts, with positive thoughts, with spiritual goals, spiritual aspirations, to keep the mind focused in a positive direction. But there's another aspect to this whole subject of, of spiritualizing the thoughts and spiritualizing the consciousness. And that is, again, coming back to where we started in the beginning. The real power, the real treasure, and the real value of this spiritual sangha, this spiritual family, of Paramahansa Yogananda lies not just in the techniques and in the teachings, but in that higher dimension, that higher relationship that each disciple forms with the liberating spiritual consciousness of the guru. The whole purpose of a guru in the world is to transmit spiritual consciousness into those who are receptive. Without that transmission of consciousness, without that touching of a higher 
vibration, a higher reality. No amount of scriptural study or reading of books or watching of videos is really going to have a lasting change on us. It's that inner contact with the source of divine consciousness. I can't emphasize that enough, that as you study the teachings, as you take part in the activities and the events in our centers and temples and meditation groups, let it always be with that one overriding theme, that one overriding goal, and that is I want to place myself in the vibration of my guru's liberating, elevating spiritual consciousness. Paramahansaji used to give a, a wonderful illustration about this from India's scriptural lore. And he used to say this, he said, well, picture, picture a, a large piece of charcoal, a piece of coal. He says, if that huge rock of black coal, if it were to bathe itself for even a million years in the ocean, it couldn't wash itself and to be rid of that darkness, could it? But then he said, but if you take that same colossal rock of charcoal of coal and you put it in the fire, if it's em embraced by fire, then it loses that darkness and becomes radiant with a golden glow, isn't it? So then he said, the analogy is with our own consciousness. He said, likewise, the person of charcoal mentality, of dark, negative, enslaved to the material worldly environment, the person of charcoal mentality cannot change his or her nature while daily bathing in the dark waters of their own ignorant mind. But when a true guru preceptor's fiery wisdom baptizes the disciple's dark, undeveloped mind, then it loses its gloom and will burn forever with the golden flame of wisdom. Isn't that a beautiful imagery? And isn't that, in a very concise way, what each and every disciple on this path comes to experience? Even if for a moment we contact that, that inner, make that inner vibratory link with the Guru's consciousness, then that fiery wisdom, then that higher vibration of liberating spiritual consciousness infuses our own materialistically enslaved minds and makes us begin to glow with that light, with that joy, with that love, with that sense of higher possibilities. I want to end today with one of our Guru's beautiful poems. It's called The Noble New. And this is a, a battle cry, you might say, or a call, uh, call to march on to spiritual victory. He would say that, you know, if you go, if you take these teachings, you take the, practice these techniques, if you make meditation, and spiritual activity and spiritual behavior are part of your daily life, then you are finding for yourself the ocean of love and joy that dwells within you and pervades all creation. And you have that connection, you have that consciousness. 
And he used to say, while small-minded men cry impossible, the pathfinders of the world calmly pursue their goals and demonstrate that the impossible was instead inevitable. You are those pathfinders. You are those pioneers. You are those explorers in the realm of spiritual consciousness. And to all of you, our Guru has this beautiful spiritual message in this poem, The Noble New. He says, sing songs that none have sung, think thoughts that ne'er in brain have rung, walk in paths that none have trod, weep tears as none have shed for God. Give peace to all to whom none other gave. Claim him your own who's everywhere disclaimed. Love all with love that none have felt and brave the battle of life with strength unchained. In our Guru's prayers and poems and divine invocations, he has this inimitable knack of encapsulating vast spiritual truths. If we take just each little phrase, each little aspect of, these, of this short message, sing songs that none have sung. In other words, apply that even in meditation. When we're doing devotional chanting, let it be as if nobody else has ever sung with that intensity of yearning, with that intensity of, of calling and invoking the divine presence. Let it be like the song has never been sung by anyone else before. And he, then he says, think thoughts that ne'er in brain have rung. Again, take those liberating thoughts of wisdom, those liberating precepts that we find in the Guru's teachings, and let those be what resonate, what ring, what resonate in our own brains. Walk in paths that none have trod, weep tears as none have shed for God. In those moments of silence, following the practice of the techniques of meditation, when there's that sense of being nearer to God, to being in the presence of God, let that then be a time, as he says, weep tears as none have shed for God. Just go on and on, as he said, with that devotional invocation, that devotional pulling at the divine presence. My Lord, I want to see only you. Reveal thyself, reveal thyself, reveal thyself. Weep tears as none have shed for God. Give peace to all to whom none other gave. By your lives, by touching that source of peace within, you automatically become a peacemaker. You automatically become one who is a force for peace in the world. Claim him your own, who's everywhere disclaimed. Love all with love that none have felt, and brave the battle of life with strength unchained. That's our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda's message and battle cry and spiritual prescription for a transformed life for each and every one who practices these teachings. 
take it to heart, keep before us the vast possibilities, the inspiring goals, what we can achieve, what we can experience, and what we can bring into our lives and into the lives of our loved ones to face the battle of life with strength unchained. May God bless each one of you. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti.